0: Hey everybody this is Tina again with Good Nurse Bad Nurse and this week Christina and I are going to be telling you some fascinating stories. Right Christina? Yes. Hi everyone. (laughs) We're so excited to finally be here.
1: We have been experiencing the worst technical difficulties.
0: We have been sitting here for about I don't even know maybe an hour trying to get the computer to work, Mm -hmm. trying to get Skype to work, trying to get I don't know and then we recorded like 15 minutes of the episode had all kinds of just wonderful candid comments and just everything was great <laughs> and I am an idiot and didn't have my ear headphones in I was just listening to it right <laughs> come through my laptop <laughs> which means it was going in, out of my laptop and into the microphone so you guys were going to be hearing all this echoing and feedback oh I am you would think I hadn't you would think that I have not been doing this for almost a year now <laughs> It's so,
1: okay. It's it was just
0: part of the struggle, <laughs> and it there, it's just always got to be. Yeah, always, always. It, it wouldn't be good nurse, bad nurse podcast <laughs> if, it, if there wasn't some sort of pod, you know some sort of exactly, drama. Exactly, technical. It's always got to be technical drama. There's mm-hmm. really no other drama. It's just I know,
1: stuff. I know. We all get along great. <laughs> yes. You have a wonderful husband who helps us with our products and merchandise.
0: I know. And he does such a great job. And he's very affordable, too.
1: <laughs> Even
0: though he doesn't drink coffee. No, uh, he doesn't drink coffee.
1: <laughs> and the design <laughs> for our Poor mugs. Our, mugs was, it, our Y'all, these mugs are so cute. I love them. Aww. I want one, and I was going to order one. And then Tina holds it up for me over video call just to... To give me a preview <laughs> <laughs> and the logo is instead of being on the side of the cup it opposite the handle so it's it's forward facing I don't
0: <laughs> yeah instead of like looking at the mug and like if you're drinking it with the handle to the side and the the logo would be you know on the front right facing out or, or facing you or whatever it's on the opposite side of the handle. <laughs> I've never seen a mug like that before. And then so when it got here, uh, uh, he sent it to me. He goes, the logo is um, on the like front of the mug. Is that OK? And I was like, um, I don't think I've ever seen a mug like that before. <laughs> I mean, I don't want <laughs> to hurt his feelings. But <sighs> he goes, well, I don't drink. Co-. I said, you know, I'm going to have to make fun of you on the podcast i'm gonna have to make fun of you i'm so sorry and he was like well i don't care but just just tell them that i don't drink coffee and that's why i don't i didn't know that and i was like do you want me to tell them you don't look at mugs either
1: <laughs> oh my anyways we we've corrected that technical technical difficulty um <laughs> or i should say maybe design flaw i'm not sure yeah. but um anyways I, I, maybe we should keep them they'd be very unique
0: collector's edition
1: (laughs) the rare flawed
0: good nurse bad nurse mug
1: one day we'll auction it off for (laughs) a lot of money
0: five cents or something who knows yes. what it would bring maybe even 25 right <laughs> so, so anyway go on ahead and go to our website at good nurse com. we announced last week how we got that domain name good nurse, Bad nurse and we were really excited about it so we're doing lots of fun things with it christine is going to be doing some writing and to put it we're going to have a blog page and i think she was intending to maybe ask you guys to help her out with some ideas for content.
1: Yes, please help me. (laughs) Tina, (laughs) you might regret your decision to bring me on as a blogger. No, but
0: (laughs) I know better than that. Nope, it's going to be awesome.
1: (laughs) But I'm so excited. I have a couple of ideas, um, just subjects that are really dear to my heart. Precepting and being a preceptor is one of them, Um, just because I had the best preceptor. In the world. (laughs) Oh,
0: that's nice. Thank you. You're welcome.
1: And for those of you who don't know, Tina was my (laughs) preceptor. But no, um, all shenanigans aside, I really, that is a subject that is very dear to me. Um, Nurses, support Mm -hmm. nurses, that's my firm belief and just kind of a little preview there. So please send us an email, let us know what you'd like to hear about, read about.
0: Well, I guess we can get started here on our stories. We've got some really interesting ones this week. First of all, we have a in-the-news little article just to, to chat about a little bit. Um, I guess in Washington State, a nurse filed a class-action lawsuit over unpaid breaks. Right. It's a, It was an article I found in the San Francisco Chronicle. It was basically just saying she was filing this lawsuit, accusing the hospital of being in violation of the federal fair labor standards act and Washington right. state law and i guess that, you know state law is going to vary from state to state but there there's that federal law that is going to apply to all states and that's that in in addition to the state laws is what she was referring to and saying that that she and other healthcare workers are entitled to 30 minutes for lunch and it's supposed to be uninterrupted right
2: and
1: that is something that is i don't know we were we were discussing this mm-hmm. earlier <laughs> But we both agreed, I think, mm-hmm. Tina, that that we felt like, yes, it is an important standard and we're glad that it's a federal fair labor standard. <laughs> um, but in healthcare, that it's just sometimes just not practical mm-hmm. because we're in direct contact with patients and their families. And sometimes we just out of pure necessity have to be available to our patients, but we have an excellent team, I'd say, where I work at the, at the hospital that mm-hmm. I work at. Um, that we can, I mean, I say we, but I feel like on the whole, as nurses, we can usually carve out a, a little bit of time, at least, to eat a snack. Yeah. It, may, it might not be a full meal. Sometimes I don't even really want to eat a full meal at work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll just pack little snacks to and and um, pop in. The break room and eat something for five minutes, you know, throughout, throughout the day. And I know a lot of nurses that do that just because we are very aware of our time management and we have certain tasks that we want to perform for our patients. So we'd rather not take such a large time out from our own um, shift at one time is what I'm saying. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it does. I
0: I, I, I found it kind of interesting that it was, that they were, comp- they were referring to the fact that they're interrupted during their 30 minutes. You would think that in a 12-hour period that someone could find 30 minutes un- you know continuously to be uninterrupted, but when I think about our job and my job, I find it unrealistic to think that if if you're responsible for for these patients and someone comes along that has a question about one of them we have, we do have handoff. We give handoff to another nurse, and it you it right. is totally within your right. And the hospital always pushes for all employees to take their break, take their thirty minute lunch, hand off your patients to someone else, have them say, "I'm sorry, the nurse is not available." They will, when they get back from their lunch, they'll call you back. That sort of thing. Right. There's really no reason why you couldn't do that because at some point in the in the twelve hour period you you can you could do that if you really wanted to M- my thing is i don't know that i always want to do that i think I, I personally would prefer to go ahead and go go get something to eat sit in the break room and be available if someone needed something and that's just a personal choice and i i would like to have the choice uh, the option to do that if if that's what i choose right. and and i know that our hospital supports an uninterrupted lunch and and advocates for that for for the employees but a lot of people choose not to do that you know
1: right and I I mean I'm of course I can't really speak to this nurse's mm-hmm. experience because there's not even a whole lot of information on this in this article that we that we found but I do feel very strongly that it's probably a breakdown somewhere in their mm-hmm. team you know because you did you did mention giving handoff to another mm-hmm. nurse before you go to lunch that sort of thing. I feel like really strong teamwork ensures that everyone does at least get somewhat of a break.
0: I don't. I wish that I kind of don't like that um, a lot There has to be a law that forces hospitals and employers to give people just basic human rights. You know, that's <laughs> right. Uh, that's, yes, that's horrible that that has to. It has to be that way. I would encourage anyone who works somewhere that is not giving not providing those things that you would look elsewhere because surely if somewhere there there are employers that do provide that I would hope and I guess we have to have those laws because you're going to have institutions that kind of push the boundaries uh, right. where I work and you know where we work is a, a magnet hospital it's nurse driven it's uh, you know part of the organization and the decisions that are made are by nurses four nurses. That's what a magnet hospital is. And so that's the nice thing about working for a magnet hospital is that you do feel supported. So I would definitely yes. encourage you to work for a magnet institution if there's one near you, for sure.
1: Yes, I would. And we all know that a lot of people, well, myself being probably
0: the most guilty of this, become hangry <laughs> if we don't now, eat. I don't know what you're talking about, Christina. I'm <laughs> What what is this of which you speak? Hangriness? Um, is this I I don't know anyone <laughs> that suffers from that.
1: Oh my goodness. No. I, I know. It's a rare case. Um it's very, it's a very rare, unfortunate disorder <laughs>
0: that that occurs. <laughs> the reason why I'm constantly snacking. <laughs> well, and I think each of us know what our own weaknesses and our own limits and so we have to do what we have to do to protect our coworkers and patients <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it, it is a sad but
1: unfortunate truth that now if i become snappy at work one of the first things that someone
0: will ask me is have you eaten lately uh, go get a snack <laughs> go get some pistachios or something <laughs> Yes. <laughs> go eat some grapes <laughs> anyway i guess we that's our in the news story we have a really interesting bad nurse story. We've, we've got a couple of doctors oh, yes. that we're going to be, we're some, the whole episode is really going right. to be about doctors this week.
1: It really is. And let me tell you, Tina, when I started researching mm. this story, I could not stop. I think I sat for two or possibly three hours this week just watching the story, reading about it, and then um, typing up all my notes mm-hmm. for it. It is larger than life. The story happened back in two thousand twelve mm-hmm. in Lubbock, Texas. And I personally am from Texas. Let me tell you, there is not much in Lubbock. <laughs> <laughs> there is a university. There is the beautiful town of Lubbock. There's a Buddy Holly statue. <laughs> yes. There's a lot there's a lot of wind, hardly any trees, and a lot of very nice mm-hmm. people. So this story involves several people first and foremost, our victim, Dr. Joseph Sonnier. Okay. He was a successful businessman. And for all invents and purposes, the beginning of his life, had a very lovely wife. He married his high school sweetheart. They had three sons. He became a very successful pathologist. And then unfortunately, his first wife left him after 27 years of marriage. And her second husband, and this is this is relevant, so this is why I'm saying this. Her second husband actually ended up murdering her, and then killing himself. And this all happened when Dr. Sonier was in his late 30s, early 40s. His sons were around college age, and he really, a, a lot of friends and family said that, you know, he of course was devastated that she left him, but he was also devastated when she died and in such a, a terrible mm-hmm. way and he really um pulled his family together he brought he just stepped in and helped his sons really cope with everything that that they had to go through losing their mother but he was kind of sad and I guess probably even depressed is a accurate word to use and then he decided to go to a dance
0: class a ballroom, a ballroom dancing Right, class. his son said that he was kind of always sort of serious, that he, he remembered him yes. sort of being serious and definitely would not refer to him as like a ladies man or anything like that. He was, yeah, same woman, you know, married to the same woman for, for 27 years. So he's, it's almost like this new, per- once he kind of went through the grieving process, this new person sort of emerged.
1: Right, exactly. And um, I think his son even said that he thought he went maybe on a dare to this dancing class. (laughs) It probably wasn't his idea. And, and up until that point, he, even after his wife had divorced, he and his wife had divorced, um, he hadn't dated anybody, uh, really seen anybody, nothing like that. But he went to this ballroom dancing class, and, he, and his son said he began to live again. He just felt like he wanted to recreate his life. Here he was, a successful pathologist. Lovely family, but they're grown. A beautiful mm-hmm. house. A lot of money. Very successful business. And so he started to date some of the women that he met at this okay. dance class he met a beautiful blonde tall gorgeous woman named Rochelle mm-hmm. Shatina and he took her on their first date to a football game to meet his son but I mean his sons um in their interview said that they just they really liked her they thought she was you know a lovely person very sweet and um and that she really seemed to make their dad happy this woman uh, Miss Shatina Rochelle Ro- Shatina it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, Rachel, it's a mouthful. <laughs> she uh, was also a single mom of four sons, and then she and Doctor Sonier just really seemed to have a beautiful whirlwind romance. Mm-hmm. They fell in love. They had a wonderful time ballroom dancing together. They got along well with each other's families, and so they just they just seemed like they had uh, discovered e- each other's soulmate. Mm-hmm.
0: And and then she he took her to. Paris for her fiftieth birthday. Yes, and then they did this whole romantic thing where they put the the love lock on the bridge, and you know, you you hang the love lock on the bridge, and then throw the key into the into the river below. And her son said that he told his dad before the trip that that his dad he told him you know you should tell her that you are not intending to propose to her because it seems it would. Uh, he can you could sort of see where uh, someone might think that this might be like a proposal trip I mean (laughs) it's very romantic I'm gonna take you to Paris she may be she
1: may have some expectations (laughs) right uh yes and uh, that's very wise Mm -hmm. advice from his son I would Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would I would definitely say agree or agree with that but in her interview um Rochelle says that she was just looking for a committed relationship with a good right. person. And and she found that in Dr. Sonnier. So they just, she did not mention anything about being disappointed with the trip or anything. She thought it was a wonderful, uh, romantic getaway mm-hmm. and she really enjoyed it. And it, I, I, goodness, I don't know how long afterwards um, this happened, but it was, wasn't but a few weeks. I think I it was think, shortly right? after that trip. Right. Yes. So on July 11th, 2012, uh, Dr. Sonier's landscaper called 911 and said, somebody has broken a window in the back um, and the doctor didn't show up for work mm. today. And if you listen to the 911 call, she is just very panicked. Um, she seems very apprehensive. just every nothing is right about the scenario. And Dr. Sonier was found dead in his garage. He had been stabbed and shot, and nothing else in the house was touched.
0: Yeah, so he was very wealthy. He had a lot of expensive artwork. He had handguns. He had cash. Right. Just mm-hmm. uh, la- uh, laptops, iPads, things that if you were breaking into a home and going to kill someone or it, it, breaking the home to steal something and then it was a robbery gone right. bad, you would have at least taken something from the house
1: right exactly it just it is very uncharacteristic i mean he lived in a in a wonderful neighborhood safe beautiful mm-hmm. homes it just it came as a yeah. shock to the community to say the least and dr zach oh goodness i just said doctor
0: <laughs> i'm doctor, sorry he was a detective. doctor and became a detective <laughs> he, he had wanted yes. to be a detective his whole life he went to medical school and after 10 years he decided After going to school for 10 years, he decided to become a homicide detective. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because they pay so much more. (laughs) exactly. That did not happen. I'm so sorry. Oh, no,
1: no, no. I'm so sorry. All right. (laughs) Zach Johnson is a homicide detective at the Lubbock Police Department. He was put in charge of investigating the murder. They immediately suspected it was a murder. It just, as you said, there were just no signs that this was breaking Mm -hmm. and entering, but everyone was in shock because no one could understand why such a popular, likable man as Dr. Sonier, how he could have become a yeah. target. And so I almost did it again.
0: <laughs> Zach Johnson. Everybody's a doctor. Well, it Johnson. seems like everybody's a
1: doctor in this story.
0: That's the problem.
1: <laughs> it really, it really does. I had to listen to it a couple of times to get everybody straight. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Johnson, he's the homicide detective, um, he decides to bring Rochelle in, of course, for a police interview because um, he calls the family to let them know. And this is, to me, just such a tragedy because his son, um, Dr. Sonya's son, got the call about his father um, the day before the two-year
0: anniversary of his mother's That's murder. That's just so tragic. That's
1: I just, I can't imagine mm-hmm. how heartbreaking I that know. was for this, this poor family. And the very odds that both of your parents um, would die in such a senseless and tragic way is uh, that just does not happen.
0: Right. And I think Um, that the, the, the sons, you know, said that they really suspected right away that somehow this had to be connected because what are the odds? Right. Exactly. So they just immediately went, is this, you know,
1: what, how could this be? Right. So Zach Johnson brought in Rochelle for a police interview. And in you can watch their video interview. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just distraught, in yes, shock. Obviously. Um, just very obviously in shock. Um, she described Dr. Sonier as the love of her life. Um, she spoke very highly of him, of his family. But then when Zach Johnson is asking her, you know, Did Dr. Sonnier have any enemies that you could think of? She really can't think of anybody. I mean, she offers a list of, like, former girlfriends. Mm -hmm. But she can't think of anyone that would be his, you know, maybe, I guess, enemy or um, of someone who has a grudge against him. Nothing like that. He was just a very upstanding man in in the Lubbock community. Right. She also, though, did say that she had... feeling in the past or the weeks before leading up to the murder after they got had gotten back from Paris that she and he had been followed and that something was just Mm -hmm. off she said she described an incident that happened where they were sitting at his dining room table and it, it was evening it was an evening they were having dinner and they saw a light like a flash of light in the backyard and they kind of they made a joke, kind of like, oh, it's like paparazzi or somebody's following us. You know, it was like a camera flash. Mm-hmm. And she didn't think anything of it at the mm-hmm. time. I mean, you know, they just kind of laughed it off, you yeah. know. But then a few days later, she said that she felt like someone was following them at the gym. Like someone, um, a man was standing by their the front entrance of their gym and would just watch yeah, it. Yeah,
0: she described him as like this big, burly, tall guy. Yes, yeah.
1: Exactly. So just things were just not quite right um, when she thought about it in retrospect.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the time, I guess it wasn't ominous or it wasn't menacing enough. There wasn't anything that would really make them think, oh, we better call 911 or, you know, we better let the authorities know someone's trying to hurt us. Or even there wasn't even a sense of necessarily stalking. It was just like almost a just a little bit of a bad feeling and then it would go away, you know, but in right. hindsight, it stood out obviously.
1: Right. And to her, the most striking thing was that she had gotten a supposed letter mm-hmm. from one of, of Dr. Sonnier's or from someone who described herself as Dr. Sonnier's former girlfriend. Right. But if you'll recall, really, Dr. Sonia hadn't dated anyone very seriously or even went on very many dates before uh, meeting Rochelle at the dance class. And so he he told her that he felt like someone else was trying to drive a wedge between
0: them. I think the letter said something to the effect that he, I I can't remember if he dated, if he paid her or that he was paying someone for money or paid paid her. Somehow it was sort of a sleazy type thing it wasn't even like a ex-girlfriend or different it was almost like he was doing some kind of oh you're right right not illegal necessarily but I can't remember if it was pictures or what but there was something something just to make him look like he's you know a bad person and and it was totally the things that were were in that letter was totally out of character for him right Um, and I don't think she believed it I think she and he told he told her yeah no. like you said there somebody's obviously trying to drive a wedge between us
1: right so this kind of strikes a chord with Mr Johnson so he the detective so he asks her if if she ha- knows of anybody who would have anything maybe against mm. her which causes her to mention another mm. doctor Dr Thomas Michael Dixon right. and she describes this man as her ex boyfriend. And he is a plastic surgeon in Amarillo, Texas, which is north of Lubbock. And let me tell you, there is even less (laughs) going on in Amarillo. (laughs) There's a beautiful canyon out there, actually, um, that you can go hiking. But other than that, (laughs) there's not much. Um, But apparently you can get plastic surgery done in Amarillo. Mm -hmm. Um, So she had met Dr. Dixon when she went to his clinic to get Botox injections. Um, She thought he was a very likable person. Mm -hmm. She thought he was funny. He thought she was beautiful. Mm -hmm. He was married at the time. They began an affair. His wife divorced him. And she said they dated for one and a half years, but it was on and off. Mm -hmm. Kind of sporadically, I guess, if you will. And then they went their separate ways. And Detective Johnson was, was surprised that she would mention somebody who she, you know, a former boyfriend who she used to date. And so he kind of questioned her a little bit and, and she said, well, he was always trying to get me back. Mm. So this kind of sparked detective Johnson to drive to Amarillo that night. So he interviewed Rochelle the day that the murder happened. And that night he drove to Amarillo to try to interview Dr. Dixon because honestly, they didn't have anybody nope. else um, in this case and then nobody else to go off of. So Detective Johnson drives to Amarillo. It's about an hour and a half, two-hour drive. Um, That very night, knocks on his door, and Dr. Dixon denies knowing anything Mm -hmm. about Dr. Sonia.
0: And he kind of acts like he opens the door, and the the detective says, I'm here to talk to you about a murder, and mentions his ex-girlfriend, and he acts like, well, I haven't seen her in months and months. You know, just like, who, you know, like, uh, yes. who is this person? What's her name again? You know, and. Mm-hmm. Right. They know And the detective knows better. <laughs> right. Yes.
1: So he tries to, to question him and, and Dr. Dixon in his interview, he even admits that he loves her or he loved her, I should say, and that he did at one point want her back. But then he said that all she wanted to do was get married and he was not interested in marriage again. And when they interview Rochelle, she says that, that it was never about marriage, but that he just was never, really wasn't present for her in any of her problems and situations. He just wasn't very supportive. Yeah,
0: she, she talked about her, for her birthday one year. He gave her a, this is the, if it's not the weirdest thing I have ever heard, I mean, in this story. The thing that stood out to me the most was like he gave her what? <laughs> I can't even. He gave her a. I mean, like I, I feel like I'm making this up. It's not. People are gonna be like, I okay, know. they totally just made that up. He did not. Um, no. He gave her a tea of the month club for her birthday. A doctor did this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What? Mm-hmm. Yes. What? Who, who does right. that? And,
1: and she didn't even drink tea. <laughs> <laughs> That's-, that's the part that that's the part that really got me. You know, if I loved mm-hmm. tea, maybe I would love a tea of the month mm-hmm. subscription.
0: But if I don't even It's drink the gift tea- that keeps on giving. <laughs> Isn't that what Uncle Eddie says on Christmas making? Yes. <laughs> Clark gets enrolled in the Jelly of the Month club instead of getting his bonus. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs>
1: exactly exactly uh so so there you go this poor dr dixon although he must have been a successful plastic surgeon he maybe just was not very observant i mean you date someone for that
0: long and you don't even know they don't drink tea Uh, (laughs) yeah and that was she just said uh, he clearly has no idea who i am for him to to send this to me and it's if you think about it he really he was kind of crazy about her. Right. Mm-hmm. He was upset when she when she broke up with him, and he was trying to get her back. So how in the world he didn't have a clue about something like that right. to send her that that present?
1: And in her defense, she even says in her interview that, um, you know, we're, we're, here, we're here laughing, but, you know, some people might be thinking, well, it was a nice gift. You know, it's a thought mm-hmm. that counts. At least, you know, she was ungrateful for the present, but she, she said that sh- she valued presents the most. Mm. Um, and so she would have been a lot happier if he had actually just come over to her house, rang the doorbell and told her happy birthday yeah. in person and said, I'm so happy to be here with you to spend yeah. time with you. Um, so, so I don't think she had crazy expectations, but really just wanted someone to really spend time together with it and, and a, a companion. And that's who she found in, in Dr. Sonye. But going back to Dr. Dixon, he brings up that they had talked about going for a weekend getaway together kind of towards the end when they, right before they went their separate ways permanently. He had asked her about getting back together, and she said, okay, and they had talked about going for a weekend getaway together, and then she met Dr. And so she quickly went back to Dr. Dixon and said, I'm in love with my new dance partner. I cannot go on this getaway with you.
0: Uh, we are not getting back mm-hmm. together. And that's when they broke up. Yeah, and some people kind of say, uh, the sons, I guess, were, were, were sort of saying that maybe she was kind of throwing it in his face, her relationship with Dr. Saunier. She says that she wasn't. But like, hey, I found somebody who isn't going to be sending me a tea of the month (laughs) for my birthday kind of thing, you know.
1: Right. Right. And it's hard. It's hard to say, you know, when you're when you're in a situation like that, you know, your emotions are high. uh, Feelings are hurt. Things are said. Who knows what really went down? (laughs) Uh, But they went their separate ways. And so Detective Johnson is, he's listening to this and he's saying, okay, you know, everything, it it checks out. I mean, you know, there's nothing, nothing's wrong with this scenario per Mm -hmm. se.
0: Um, But considering the parties involved, you know, everything kind of makes sense. Yeah. And Dr. Dixon had an alibi for the night of the murder. Right. And that, he was like, well, he's got this alibi. Right he was dating a young mm-hmm. medical medical student oh dr dixon what are you doing oh man they went and had sushi together i guess the night of the murder mm-hmm. she was very believable in her interview because oh yeah she there was no doubt she was t- crying she was very upset when she was trying to explain where she was and that she was with him. Right. She didn't at all come across as somebody who was just giving him like a false alibi or anything like that. Right,
1: no. And she was able to give, you know, very accurate details. And then we have an alibi for Dr. Dixon. Mm-hmm. And Rochelle, she was not with Dr. Sonier the night of the murder, but she also had an alibi that was um, reliable. And then I think they even tried to find... Um, what, maybe one or two of the people that Dr. Sonier had previously dated, very mm-hmm. briefly, but they also had alibis for the murder. So essentially, the case was they were just at a loss mm-hmm. as to how to go on, and they really had no answers for Dr. Sonier's family, for Rochelle, until Paul Reynolds called the police department, mm-hmm. and Detective Johnson just described him. At Detective Johnson, when he described him, he said, "There are good people in this world." And Paul Reynolds is one of them. And may we just give him a shout out because he was an aspiring
0: nurse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He never really expounded on that at all. Right. What, did he ever go to nursing school? Was he he a nursing school dropout? What the deal was? It said he was kind of... I don't know. Yeah, down on his luck at the time that this happened. Yeah.
1: Yes. But thank you, Paul Reynolds, for being a good person. But what he called... 911 and asked to speak to Detective Johnson. He said that he had a friend that he was staying with. This friend's name was David Shepard. Mm-hmm. And his friend had recently started to talk about murder. And then he tried to commit suicide mm-hmm. by cutting his wrists and taking pills. Yes, he did. So Dave shepherd is not a new name to Detective Johnson because on the night of the murder, Dr. Dixon's girlfriend, Ashley Woolbert mentioned that a man named Dave Shepard um, had come over because Dr. Dixon had
0: a box of di- cigars mm-hmm. for Shepard. She said he mentioned that while they were having dinner? Yes. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and talking mm-hmm. about how, oh, Dave is going to be coming over, I've got a box of cigars, just sort of like, an, just a comment. not Right. But she remembered it. Right. And so Dave Shepard is a divorced father of three. He has a past criminal
1: record and they interviewed his daughters as well. Mm -hmm. And they described him as never having any money. He's always borrowing money from people. He he even borrowed money from one of them when she was 17, working a part-time job after school.
0: Yes. These girls seem very well put together. Yes. uh, Very well spoken. They're, they just seem like good, solid people. Right. Exactly. So, these
1: two people, Dr. Dixon and Dave Shepard, seem to be about as different as they could possibly be. <laughs> I mean, really, coming from two very different economic backgrounds, yeah. they did not seem to have anything in common. Definitely an unlikely pair, for sure. Right, exactly. But they actually do have one thing in common. And that is that they both went through their divorce at the same time. Mm. And Mr. Shepard's daughters describe him as really wanting and like envying Dr. Dixon's life. They thought he was, I mean, he, um, Dave Shepard thought Dr. Dixon was very successful. He had everything that Dave Shepard wanted and never had. Big house outside of town, lots of money, success, popularity, and even... Mr. Shepard's daughters mentioned that he would promise them that one day they would have those things when they were, you know, when they were growing up, he always said that was kind of, unfortunately, maybe kind of an excuse, Mm. you know, we have to, I'm doing this now so that one day we will have X, Y, Z. Yeah. But going back to Paul Reynolds, he had been living with Shepard for a few weeks because he himself was... I guess down and out a little bit. Yeah. Um, um and that was and, the
0: aspiring nurse that had called uh, call the police, yeah, and said, "Hey, yes. uh, uh, something really weird is happening here."
1: Yes. And he said that he'd been living with Shepherd for a few weeks and he described him as having very low self-esteem, but he never would have thought that he would try to you know, commit suicide or something like that. It was just very he was just very struck by that behavior. I thought it was very odd. And The other thing that he thought was odd is that Dave Shepard at that same time also suddenly had money. He had a lot of money. He took his daughters out to a steakhouse for dinner, bought them gifts, bought things for himself. And when his daughters questioned him about where he got this money, he said, I've been doing some work for Mike Dixon and he paid me early. Mm -hmm. So both Dave Shepard and Dr. Dixon were arrested, brought into custody, but they were both silent for three months. So they're just in jail, not talking, not uh, not um, admitting to anything until the
0: prosecutors for the case offered Shepard a plea deal that would take the death penalty off the table. And then after that, he sort of starts singing like a canary. <laughs> Yes. About what happened and how the doctor wanted to break up Rochelle and Dr. Saunier and that he, w- he was very, he was almost obsessed with it. And he had even gotten a book where they were getting ideas to try to ruin Dr. Saunier's reputation. And there's the, where the letter comes in. They sent, well, they had the idea of sending a porn subscription. He told them, Dr. Dixon, you should get find the absolute most disgusting pornography that you can and then order a subscription in Dr. Sonia's name and have it sent to his doctor's office, like the, to the office. Right. Kind of a stupid idea to me. Right, right. I mean, when you heard that, did you not think that's the dumbest thing? If that came in the <laughs> mail at the office, okay, would you not, your first instinct be that, Someone that that's a some sort of a joke, or because who would right. order that and have it sent to the office? Right,
1: exactly. It just it's very malicious, mm-hmm. but but also stupid.
0: <laughs> just it's stupid, but but that tells you, yeah, it tells you what they were thinking, what they were trying, right. really trying to ruin him.
1: Right, and but the fact that they're getting their ideas from a book, oh, good grief! Uh, and this is this is about someone who. They've never met, and Rochelle, she, you know, made it very clear that she didn't want to be in a relationship with with Doctor Dixon. So it, it's it's definitely more of an obsession on his side, it seems. Yes. Oh, you know what that that
2: whole
1: that whole letter, Tina, what you are talking about. Mm-hmm. I do have that. What that where that came from? They paid off a girl, um, to pretend. Or to say that she had had uh, sex with Dr. Sonnier for money. That's right. So that's that's why Rochelle got that letter sent to her. Okay. They had paid someone to do that. And they even drove down to Lubbock together to spy on Dr. Sonnier and Rochelle. This is what Dave Shepard is telling Detective Johnson and the other investigators.
0: Yeah, and he tells them that they took a photograph from the backyard, and so if everybody will kind of remember back when Christina was telling you about how Rochelle was talking about them sitting in the house and seeing a camera, something that looked like a camera flash from the backyard, that matches up with that with her memory of that happening. Right, exactly. And the most chilling thing to me about this whole confession
1: is listening to Dave Shepard talk about one night they were discussing these pranks. If you, I would not even call them pranks no but this this is how dave Shepard described them right. to investigators he said they were pranks but he and dr dixon were at a club in amarillo and they were just talking about it i guess with a, a group of random guys and someone said something like oh well i guess next you'll have to hit him over the head with a board or something like that and dave Shepard told investigators that he said you could probably kill him Mm -hmm. and dr dixon replied we'll talk about that later Mm -hmm. so dave shepherd says that they planned this for months after that night they just couldn't stop talking about it and dave shepherd even says that he asked Dr. Dixon, are you sure you want to do this? Mm-hmm. It will bother you for the rest of, of your life. You'll have a
0: cloud hanging over you. I mean, that Dave Shepard, he doesn't even have a dog in the hunt, you know, as they say down in Texas. Right. Um, <laughs> do we say that, time, I don't Tita? know. I'm just making that up.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I've never heard a
0: Texan say that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but, but, I mean, really, what does he have to do, to do with this I mean why right would he be other than the fact that he knows that dr. Dixon has money and he wants right. that lifestyle so maybe he's kind of pushing him forward pushing him along trying to talk him into this so that he can get that lifestyle that he wants
1: otherwise why well and Paul Reynolds Dave Shepard's friend that was staying with him in his interview he described Dave Shepard as having this mentality that he needed to avenge Dr. Dixon. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was almost like he idolized his lifestyle living so much that suddenly he began to, to idolize the person and kind of
0: everything
1: that he represented.
0: Yeah, maybe bordering on even obsession or something, you know, the fact that he would be willing to do something like that.
1: Exactly. Right. And so fast forward to July, um, Dr. Sonia and Rochelle have just gotten back from, Um, Paris, and Dave Shepard says that he drove um, down from Amarillo to Lubbock to stake out the backyard, and he just sat in the backyard and waited for Dr. Sonnier to come home. Um, He was sitting at the outdoor patio table. He actually fell asleep while he was
0: waiting for Dr. Sonnier. (laughs) I'm telling you. He is a real winner. And he
1: says that during this whole time, I guess, until he fell asleep, he was in contact with Dr. Dixon, who was encouraging him to get the job done and, you know, stay the course and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, just these little text messages that they later um, found. So he falls asleep and he wakes up to the sound of someone tapping on the window from the inside. And it's Dr. Saunier himself. So Dr. Sonier, you know, apparently came home from work was probably just walking past the, the dining room window, looks outside and sees someone asleep in his patio chair, taps on the glass, and he even had lowered the window a little bit so that he could talk to yeah. Dave Shepherd. And and Shepherd pulls out his gun, shoots him three to four times, and then he pushes in the window to right. enter the house. Uh, meanwhile doctor Saunier you know, staggered back from the the impact of the bullet, and he tripped over his own feet, but he managed to crawl or walk to the garage before he collapsed. Dave Shepard said that he, you know, followed him and found him already dead, Mm -hmm. actually. Um, He was dead from from the um, bullet wounds. But then Shepard says that he took a knife out of, um, he had brought a knife with him and then stabbed him
0: several times.
1: In just despicable.
0: Organs. I mean, just a horrible, horrible person.
1: Just yes, completely. Wow. I anyways, watching it and reading it about it was that part was actually very hard for me mm-hmm. to read. Um, just because it is so cold, um, so so cold. And if you listen to the interview, Shepard seems to have absolutely no remorse of even when he's telling this to um, investigators. So then Shepard drives back to Amarillo. He says that he tells the story to Dixon. They even have a meal together the next day after the murder. And then Shepard starts to feel guilty about what happened. He tries to kill himself. And he, if you'll recall, had slit his wrists. um, And Dixon ended ended up stitching him up at at his office. They actually have that on Mm -hmm. video surveillance from Dr. Dixon's office. And when investigators heard... Shepherd's confession, they felt like they had a strong enough case to to um, to go to court with.
0: Yeah. They they thought they I mean, if you if you think about all of that, you have all the circumstantial evidence and then you have the actual person who did it confessing and giving all of these meticulous details and very matter of factly right. in the in the inter uh, in, in the interview when he was confessing, it was just he, he just stated everything so easily and clearly that right. it would be hard to believe that he was making it up.
1: Right. Exactly. And uh, just remembering every little vivid detail, timing, mm-hmm. time of day. I mean, he was able to give investigators everything. Yes. And so the case was brought to trial in October, 2014. And Dr. Dixon was also charged. Um, Shepard said that Dr. Dixon had given him, A gun, and that was the gun that he used um, for the murder. And when Dr. Dixon was arrested, he tried to well, he jumped into a a lake or a pool or something. He jumped into Mm -hmm. water, um, and and prosecutors thought that you know he was trying to ruin his phone so they couldn't go back and um, look at any of his past conversations. But he had backed his phone up to his computer beforehand, so they actually were able to um, to pull up all of these texts and um, conversations between Dr. Dixon and Dave Shepard. And he, they found messages that said things like "Go get him, um, mm-hmm. get her done, stay the course." And the defender, the defendant, um, defending lawyer, he said, "Oh, you know, that's just Texas slang," which. I mean, unfortunately, I can testify it is. <laughs> so it they is. Do, People say, do say things so like that. Say that down in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do indeed. Um, yes, I will not give you a sample, but I could. I could come up with more. Um, <laughs> but it just seemed very, very. It was just too much of a mm-hmm. coincidence. It was too much uh, that aligned for itself to be to be a coincidence. So Shepard... Um, he was pleading guilty to a life sentence without possibility of mm-hmm. parole and and then they charged Dr. Dixon with um, with murder as well and they Dave Shepard said that the payoff for the this job quote quote um, that he had done was three silver bars and a box mm-hmm. of cigars
0: and i don't know if i don't think i ever saw where what monetary value those silver bars were but whatever it was it wasn't it must have been enough enough that he was showing that he had some money because his daughters refer to the fact that he came into some money all of a sudden so he had to have been able to cash him in you know somehow i he sold them to a pawn shop
1: and from what i remember it amounted to about nine thousand dollars oh wow that's so not even very much Mm mm-hmm i was well, a horrible thing to say i guess i i don't i just i feel like that's um a very odd thing like you pay someone with silver mm-hmm. bars I, I who owns a silver bar
0: yeah i think he probably it's you know untraceable he probably didn't yeah. want to give him money because then you're going to see a large amount of money being withdrawn from an account and so the doctor you know probably and this is all uh I guess alleged, but <laughs> right, this is Dave Shepard's story. Right. Uh, that that he did this and so but not that there's any amount of money that would be that should be worth killing someone, but $9,000 definitely sounds just like a, an exceptionally small amount of money to entice someone to do something like this. Right. Exactly. And when
1: um, Dave Shepard walks in to testify, he's in the courtroom, he's, and everyone believes that he's going to give his testimony, um, what he told investigators, which they have on video. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you can go back and watch it, actually. Um, on the stand, Dave Shepard testifies under oath that Dr. Dixon did not have anything to do with it, and it was all his own idea.
0: You know, and this is something that if if you, when you're watching like Law and Order or right. any of those shows or a movie, you know, some movie about some something like this, and then a moment like this, and this has been going on since television began, you know, where so you have a... a a murder or something happened and then you put someone in the stand and you think things are going to go one way and they go totally the opposite direction. That never happens in real life. Right. So when that happens like in a movie or on television, you're just like, that's the most unrealistic thing ever. That doesn't happen. And it right. actually happened in this case. He, They had put him on the stand. We're expecting him to tell the same story that he told in his confession and he went 180 degrees the other way. Right. Which...
1: When I first read or watched that, I said, how could they, how, they had the video as mm-hmm. evidence. You know, how could they convict Shepard? Because this is what happened. They convicted Shepard. Mm-hmm. He got, served the sentence of, of life without, uh, without po- life in jail, or life in prison, goodness, without possibility of parole.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But Dr. Dixon walked free. I mean, completely free from this trial. And when they interviewed the jury. Well, actually, oh yeah, they missed. They did a mistrial on that one, mm-hmm. didn't they? Okay, mm-hmm. right, right. They said that it was a mistrial for Doctor Dixon. So Shepard yeah. was convicted, but Doctor Dixon, yeah, um, was not. Um, the judge declared it a mistrial because um, two jurors on the panel of uh, uh, the jury panel disagreed. Um, and th- th- for someone to be sentenced for murder, they all have to be in agreement. So there were t- there were two jurors who, who disagreed, and they said that they were following the judge's orders, which the judge said they could not use the video of Shepherd's confession as evidence to convict. Mm-hmm. They had to they basically had to make the decision for themselves. The video of Shepherd's confession, which they did play to the jury, could only be used as evidence to decide if Shepard was telling the truth or not. Mm-hmm. So essentially.
0: Based off of the video, could you is Shepherd telling the truth now, right, or lying? Is he telling the truth in his testimony that he killed Dr. Sanye out of vengeance for his friend, right? Because he didn't like that his friend was was hurting, and that 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 his that his friend's ex girlfriend was rubbing her new relationship in his face, and that it was totally. Uh, that Dr. Dixon knew nothing about his intentions, didn't know anything at at all that he was planning this murder, and that and that after it happened, he was just as surprised, I guess, as everyone else. And so, I guess those two jurors felt like they, I guess, they believed him on the stand, right. or they didn't think it was enough, right, to determine whether or not he was lying. Right.
1: They said they said in their interview that they, you're exactly right, that they didn't feel like it was enough evidence to yeah. convict Dr. Dixon. Um, based yeah. off of, of Dave Shepard's testimony because he, I mean, they didn't show a video of his testimony on the stand, but um, if he told it the same way as he did his his confession to investigators, um, mm-hmm. I could see how it would be very hard to make that decision. Um, yeah. Just because he was so very matter-of-fact with everything. So uh, Dr. Dixon was, was not convicted, and it wasn't until a year later actually that they decided to, to bring him back to trial again. So obviously the family was devastated. Um, Rochelle Mm -hmm. was devastated. They felt like justice had not been served. Um, They felt that Dave Shepard would never have acted against Dr. Sonier had it not been for Dr. Dixon. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so they were pursuing um, another trial this whole time. Um, And they, um, the prosecutor, um, in October of 2015, um, charged Dr. Dixon with
0: capital murder. Um, But this time, Dave Shepard was not a witness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they weren't going to take that chance again. No, no. But they did put his daughter, one of his, I guess one of the daughters Mm -hmm. took the stand. Right. And she talked about how, you know, how he did take him out to dinner at the steakhouse and gave them expensive gifts and they knew something was definitely up because he never had money is what they said. Right. Right. And they brought up that he had claimed that he
1: had done work for um, Dr. Dixon. And this time the jury decided unanimously that Dixon was guilty. Um, yes. And he was convicted um, to serve a life sentence without parole. Yes. Um, but then the case was overturned again in appeals court. And this is just what, what boggles my mind, uh, yes. because uh, Dr. Dixon appealed, the appeals court overturned the case um, based off of evidence, which they said was too, was simply circumstantial and not very, I guess, convincing.
0: Um, I didn't, I didn't really understand that whole process. I thought, okay. I wish I would have looked at that closer. I thought there was a specific reason why they allowed they actually overturned it. That like there was something that happened in the first trial that was allowed. In. Oh yes, you're was right. It... They
1: closed part of the trial to the public. Oh yes, very yes. briefly. You're right. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. Yes. So they declared it again a mistrial because the defend the defending attorney said that that was that was unconstitutional. It was against our the the court system. So yes. it, he had not been granted a fair trial. Yes. Um. So he was released on parole, and um, but the Saunier family is still uh, pursuing his prosecution, and um, he will be facing another trial. Um, but they have to start from the very beginning. So they have to yeah they have to to present the case just as they did, um, back in 2014.
0: Yeah. And this, uh, this just happened in December of this past year. So of 2018. So he, he is walking free right now. Amarillo. Mm -hmm.
1: Another reason why I moved away from Texas. (laughs) (laughs) No, you knew there was something.
0: up. I knew, I knew, no, (laughs) I'm sorry.
1: I love, I actually love my home state a lot, but it, I honestly, Tina, it was a very eerie feeling. You know, I, I love our podcast. I listen to the the stories, um, but when it when it's something when it's set in a place that you've been, mm-hmm. that you know and you love, um, it's just a very different feeling. I have to say, yeah. it just was very eerie. I mean, I almost considered going to Texas Tech for um, my nursing degree, um, so that that definitely just kind of put a very different Spin on things, anyways. I, yeah. I, my heart just goes out to the Sonier family. I just can't imagine what they have been through. I really hope that um, no matter what happens, they can really find peace um, and go and go on with their lives. Yeah, so do I.
0: And and we actually do have a lot of listeners that um, are from Texas. So uh, there's quite a few of our of people that listen to our podcast from Texas. So. I don't want anyone to think that we're, we're dissing Texas or anything like no, that. No, no. Um, I've been to Dallas before. I and mean, Mark Mark, and I were both very impressed with Dallas. We thought it was just a beautiful city. Why, thank and, you. Uh, That's where I found originally. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice. It was beautiful. And it's the only, I didn't really go anywhere else, I don't think. So, but yeah, from what we experienced, it's a really nice state. Right. And uh, just, there's people like this, unfortunately, from every state, including... Right. Pretty much all fifty states. I'm sure we could find yes. all kinds of stories. Unfortunately, it's it's true.
1: It, it is true. And that, anyways, and kind of as a, a little interesting footnote to all of this, mm-hmm. um, the investigators who did who put together this report, um, they they went and interviewed Dave Shepard. You know, years. This is years later. He's already started to serve his life sentence. And when they did, Shepard claims that it was all an accident. Um, that he never meant to murder anybody, that he was just keeping tabs on Dr. Sonia and Rochelle for Dr. Dixon. Um, and he was just, um, he just says that he uh, doesn't know why he shot him and that he's sorry for everything.
0: Yeah. Didn't he say something like whenever so he so he had fallen asleep and when Dr. Sonier tapped on the window and he woke up, he, something that the effect of the gun went off, and it was like he accidentally did it. Right. And then... Something like that. He says he went in uh, after, because he looked in and saw that he was kind of stumbling, and then he went in and then fall, went into the garage where he had gone and then saw him, and then um, he said, that he said to him, Dr. Sonia, are you okay? Yeah. And... It's just so, his story telling that is very, it's completely different than, than the, the demeanor that he had when he was confessing in the original interview. Right. And you could, it, it's so obvious to me just watching that, that, well, first of all, I mean, the story just doesn't make any sense. No, not uh, at all. He, when he originally, well, when this happened, they found a gator an empty Gatorade bottle that was near, that was there at the crime scene with a, the, one of the bullets had gone through the Gatorade bottle and basically a cr- crude um, silencer. Right. That's, yeah. And so someone had either Googled, you know, how to make a silencer or, you know, muffle the sound of a gunshot or they had seen this. A movie by that apparently has Steven Seagal in it, where he uses uh, like an empty two-liter bottle as a silencer. But they, the the police officer said that may work in the movies, but it wouldn't really work in real life. Right. But he he, he clearly he tried to do that. So you don't go to a to somewhere just tr- trying to do one of your pranks that right. you've been doing supposedly, but you bring this crude silencer that you think is going to silence the gun and use that that doesn't match up at all with the story that he told all those years later trying to trying to claim that he was just an accident right exactly oh well goodness well, that, that was a doozy of a story and just so exhausting and sad and and really it's it's still I, I mean I know he hasn't, he's been convicted, but it's been overturned. So technically he hasn't really been convicted of the crime. Right. But there, you know, there's, there's a lot of details uh, there that that people can make up their own, come to their own conclusion of what they think happened, I guess. Right. Yes. And if you are interested
1: in learning more about the case where we got our information from the ABC report for 2020, Mm -hmm. it's called Deadly Dance in Texas. If you are interested in, in that
0: so now I guess it's awkward transition time. <laughs> yes. Oh. So we're going to talk about a good doctor since we've we've talked about a, a bad doctor. I mean, I feel like we talked about a good doctor as well in that story because yes. Dr. Sonia sounds like he was a wonderful person. Yes. This is a story about a doctor who was a hero and... This is just an amazing story, and it's another just unbelievable story, too. This happened in November of 2015. Peter Gold, who was a medical student at Tulane University, and in November of 2015, he was driving down the road in New Orleans, and it was the wee hours of the morning. Right, I think it was... Three in the morning or four? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was heading home after a long night shift Mm -hmm. at the hospital. We know all about that. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So he, as he's driving down the road there in New Orleans, it's dark, of course, and I'm sure not a whole lot of activity on the streets. He notices something. He sees a woman being dragged by her hair by a man. Right. And he does something that, to me, is just amazing. Uh, It just shows his character. Right. A wonderful person he is so he immediately stops jumps out of his car and confronts the man yes and i'm sure i'm sure that probably saved that woman's life oh
1: yes yes because i the report that i read said that she was being dragged down the street by her hair but at gunpoint mm-hmm. yeah so, at gunpoint so peter gold stopped his car and Face someone with a gun, mm-hmm. um, or confronted him.
0: Yeah, and that man turned out to be 21-year-old Eric Kane. Yes, he turned the gun on Peter Gold. Right, and was demanding money. He was trying to rob him, I guess. He said, well, "I don't, I don't have any money. Right. I don't have anything." He shoots him in the abdomen, and Gold falls down on the sidewalk and kind of turns on his side with his face away from the shooter. So you can... There's a surveillance video that they find later after this incident happens. And so you can actually watch this whole scene play out and you see the shooter attempting to shoot him again while right peter gold's face is kind of away mm-hmm. he's attempting to shoot him several times and yes. he keeps looking at the gun and then he tries again and it, the gun isn't working it worked the first time right but it stopped working and so he just jumps into his vehicle and drives off and the security camera actually gets the license plate number on the back of that car right and the gun jammed and that's what saved peter gold's life
1: But even more terrifying thing to me is that his parents were on the phone with him in the car when that happened. And he had them on speakerphone. I guess they said speakerphone in the interview, but I'm sure they meant like the Bluetooth. You know how you can have it in your car and Mm -hmm. you can talk to someone while you drive? Well, so his parents heard the whole encounter over the phone. I just can't imagine how terrifying that would be to listen to your son say something to someone and then hear the sound of a gun. I just
0: can't imagine that. And I'm sure if he was talking to them, he must have told them what was going... I guess he would have told them what was going on unless he just... Right. I don't know how. But they... They definitely were on the phone with him when it happened. And, and then the shooter, before he was caught, because he drove off. Right. He goes on that same you know morning to kidnap, rob, and rape a, a couple at gunpoint the same morning that this happened. Right. Because he was arrested the next day, and he pled guilty to all of the crimes. Right. And he was sentenced to 54 years in prison. Which is so sad. But what is so incredible about Dr. Gold, so at the
1: time he was a medical student. Mm-hmm after being shot he was emergently rushed to the hospital he actually had to have his spleen removed but other than that thankfully suffered no other lasting medical complications he was able to recover and graduate from medical school so he is <laughs> he is now officially dr gold
0: yeah he's an orthopedic surgeon
1: yes in new york city which is actually where my cousin is in his residency for obstetrics and gynecology awesome shout out to jordan <laughs> But uh, Dr. Gold, actually what touched me the most about this whole story is that when Dr. Gold realized that his shooter was only 21, he just started asking himself what happened or what could happen in someone's life that he would be able to do something so violent so easily. It just deeply saddened him. And so he, along with a few other of his close friends at Tulane University, started an organization called Strong City which Mm -hmm. actually aims to support organizations and other programs that are up and running already, like Boys and Girls Club, for example, where these organizations are reaching out to underprivileged children and youth in communities, and they started in New Orleans, but it's since been growing Um, They're trying to promote it. Essentially, Strong City helps provide funding, education, and mentors to these programs so they can continue to help at-risk youth.
0: Yeah. They want to get to them while they're still young and keep them from going down the road that that man went down. You know, he said that what could have happened in that man's childhood and his upbringing where he could get to the point that he could do something like that so easily. Right. Nothing to him to just point that gun at him and shoot him. Right. And if you watch the video, it's as if he's just doing any mundane, everyday thing that you could do, pumping gas or whatever you would see somebody doing on a surveillance video. He just points the gun at him and pulls the trigger as if it's nothing at all. Right. And I, and that's what really prompted Dr. Gold to say, you know, I really want to try to get to kids before they get to this point and try to make a difference. And I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I found another article on Dr. Gold. He actually matched with the bone marrow
1: registry for a lady who had leukemia and he was able to donate his bone marrow stem cells to this woman. He had registered with the Gift of Life registry, which is just one of several bone marrow registries that we have in the United States. And after he had had this encounter with the shooter and and the young woman, he actually received a call from Gift of Life in February of 2017. He was able to donate and save yet another life. Amazing. Which I just think is so incredible. I mean, of all the people to have the grounds to say, you know what, I have been I have been through a lot. I myself have lost a spleen. I don't think I can do it. No. He just was so happy. To selflessly give back. So I'm just, i just inspired and grateful that we have people in this world like Dr. Peter Gold. Me too. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. And actually, if you have not joined a bone marrow registry, or if you would just like more information about it, please go to Gift of Life is one of the organizations, or I'm personally registered with Be The Match. These are awesome organizations where you can just, it's very simple to, to join the registry. You just have to swab your cheek. They just need a, a little sample of your cells. It's not painful at all. And the chances, unfortunately, the chances of matching with anyone are, are very few and far between. But should you match, these organizations provide, you know, all, you, all your transportation expenses, housing, everything to ensure that you're able to provide some bone marrow to the patient or person in need. It's not it's not a hard thing to do at all. So if you're even interested or curious, I would encourage you Google it and take a look.
0: Sounds good. Well, I think that was a pretty good episode. What do you think? (laughs) Oh, it wasn't half bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys go on to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and just say hey to us. Cynthia should be posting some things on there. Go on our Facebook group and join our, our our private Facebook group. That's a closed group where we can have discussions. We haven't quite gotten that ramped up yet, but we will we'll be trying to get that going pretty soon. It's building slowly. And be sure and like and subscribe us on whatever platform that you listen to podcasts on. Go to our website and take a look at that. And uh, also, I just want you to remember that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy... Be a good nurse. Yes. Always be a good nurse.